Welcome to CMAJ Podcasts. I'm John Fletcher, Editor-in-Chief of CMAJ, and I'll be talking today about the April the 7th issue of the journal. We are trialling a new format of our podcasts so that I will be briefly summarising the main content of the journal and we'll have a separate podcast for a discussion of the editorial. So if you've been listening in the past, this podcast will be a slightly different format. We have two research articles in this issue. Uh, The first is a systematic review of the effectiveness of interventions designed to reduce the use of imaging for low back pain. This review is based on seven studies. Five are cluster randomized controlled trials and two are interrupted time series analysis. And they found that uh, clinical decision support involving a modified referral form in a hospital setting reduced clinical imaging by 36.8%. And the confidence intervals are narrow from 33.2% to 40.5%. Targeted reminders to primary care physicians of appropriate indications for imaging reduced referrals for imaging by 22.5%. Slightly wider confidence intervals, 8.4% to 36.8%. Interventions that use practitioner audits and feedback, practitioner educational guideline dissemination, did not significantly reduce imaging rates. Lack of power within some of the included studies resulted in lack of statistical significance despite potentially clinically important effects. And the authors conclude that the clinical decision support in a hospital setting and targeted reminders to primary care doctors were effective interventions. And these potentially low-cost interventions would substantially decrease medical expenditures associated with the management of low back pain. Our other research is slightly more theoretical, and it's about societal preferences for the return of incidental findings from genetic testing, clinical genomic sequencing, The authors used a discrete-choice experiment to evaluate participants' personal utility for the following attributes. Disease penetrance, disease treatability, disease severity, carrier status and cost. And they had results from a survey of 1,200 participants chosen from the Canadian public. And participants valued receiving information about high penetrance disorders but expressed disutility for receiving information on low penetrance disorders. The average willingness to pay was $445 to receive incidental findings in a scenario where clinicians returned information about high penetrance, medically treatable disorders, but only 66% of participants indicated that they would choose to receive information in that scenario. On average, participants placed an important value, $725, on having a choice about what type of findings they would receive, including in receipt of information about high penetrance treatable disorders or receipt of information about high penetrance disorders with or without available treatment. The predicted uptake of that scenario was 76%. And the authors conclude that most participants valued receiving incidental information about incidental findings, but that personal utility depended on the type of finding, and not everybody wanted to receive incidental results, suggesting that patients should be given choice about whether they receive information about incidental findings from clinical genomic sequencing. We have two commentaries in this issue of the journal. 
The first is on uh, childhood obesity and is commenting on the guidelines also published in this issue. And the key messages from this commentary are that the primary care team can play a critical role in a whole system approach to tackling childhood obesity. That routine measurement of height and weight is important, but to be useful it must be well done. Children most in need are often most difficult to reach. And finally, primary care practitioners must be able to work within systems where effective behavioural treatment interventions are readily available. The second commentary is is not linked to uh, any other publications in this issue, and it is about making vulnerability visible. And this is to do with medical repatriation and Canada's migrant agricultural workers. The key points are that mounting evidence shows that Canada's seasonal agricultural worker program is deeply flawed, leaving workers vulnerable to exploitation and health risk. Secondly, the practice of repatriating workers who become critically ill or injured exacerbates barriers to health care for these workers, and data on such repatriations in Ontario are collected and controlled by a private employers group. These data, released by the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario, have allowed Orkin and colleagues to open the door to improved understanding of the vulnerability of migrant workers. And lastly, this transparency should be maintained to ensure that the labour and human rights of migrant agricultural workers are upheld. In this issue, we also publish the Canadian Task Force Preventative Healthcare Guidelines on recommendations for growth monitoring and prevention of, and management of overweight and obesity in children and youth in primary care. These guidelines recommend structured behavioural interventions for obese and overweight children, but no medications or surgery. There's little evidence showing long-term effectiveness of interventions for obesity prevention. Uh, For a more in-depth discussion of uh, these guidelines, please listen to our interview with one of the authors in another CMAJ podcast. The analysis in this issue of the journal is uh, looking at the problem of fair pricing of old orphan drugs. And the key points raised are that orphan drug laws fail to distinguish between new drugs for rare diseases and older established orphan drugs whose indications, safety and efficacy are well researched. In January 2014, the cost of trientine, an old orphan drug that is essential for treating Wilson's disease, in a subgroup of patients, increased by 13-fold. In future, as high-priced treatments for rare diseases are developed, regulations should facilitate competitive access to older, unpatented drugs. Failure to do so puts the effective availability of the drugs at risk. In this issue of the journal, we have our usual lineup of letters, practice cases and humanities. Please have a look on our website for more details. Thank you for listening. I'm John Fletcher, and that was the April the 7th issue of CMAJ.